everyone, and welcome to an epi another episode of Unnamed and Untamed. This is Sarah. I am here with Sonia and Meredith, and we have part one of two today on menopause, perimenopause. So this is a topic we haven't done a podcast about yet, um, yeah. and it's just, it, I mean, it, a lot of our clients are at this stage of their lives. It comes up a lot with um, questions on social media, family members. And I think there's a lot of mystery around what this phase is. Um, so kind of like we did with our period episode, part one and two, we just kind of wanted to go over like a, just a general overview first and then dive in deeper next week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think of like been the master at, at <laughs> menopause posts lately. And I'm just like, girl, come on, let the world know. Yeah. yeah like I would menopause say versus last... perimenopause. What is it? Why does it matter? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that, and something for our listeners to know is something that we're going to get into in other episodes is kind of our journeys. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about perimenopause and menopause is because maybe some know, some don't, I am in a surgically induced menopause, um, which is very different than a natural menopause. So I did have, uh, my ovaries removed. And so I woke up with zero hormones, um, you know, essentially went from in my thirties to in my nineties, <laughs> um, which is not such a super feeling. Um, but we have a lot of clients, obviously, that come in during this time. And I think it's a really confusing time for a lot of women. Um, it has been called, um, depending on the practitioner you go to, a second puberty, if you will. Um, if you go back to our other episodes talking about um, like period 101, um, that's the time when estrogen, quote, estrogen dominance is really prominent because we're not maybe having ovulatory cycles, every single cycle, um, which is production of progesterone or the corpus luteum. And so going into perimenopause is kind of similar. Um, it's not necessarily a hormonal deficiency. And that's something that probably should you know, be mentioned. A hormonal deficiency, I personally feel is something where you should have, say, you're at a certain age or a certain time, we should see a certain amount of hormones during that time. But as we're aging, we should see a hormonal decline. Like that, that's normal. Like that's typical. The level at which that happens, that's where the nuances occur. But during perimenopause is where we start to have a decline in progesterone first, typically, and we start to have fluctuating estrogen. So this is where it can be very hard to pen thing, quote, pen things down. And there's so many different aspects. So a lot of people feel like symptoms are a, like a symptom means it is this one thing. And unfortunately that can be very confusing, especially during perimenopause, because we do have these other glands called like, I don't know, the thyroid, the adrenal, we have our gut and all of these like symptoms or symptomology that we can be having they can correlate to so many other things. Um, so just because, so some symptoms, I'll say that of like perimenopause might be hot flashes, night sweats, 
Um, we could be having mood changes, brain fog, shorter cycles, then longer cycles. We could be having heavier cycles and then very light cycles. Well, so many other things do can correlate to that. Just going to the adrenals, stress, thyroid, and even talking about, um, you know, night sweats particularly. So, I mean, that could be blood sugar, right? Um, and then that is something that also correlates with our hormones with puberty and second puberty, because with our hormonal changes, that's going to affect other hormones. It's not, nothing is an isolation. And that is what is so frustrating, confusing, you know, angering, like all the things, because we can't say, oh, it is this one thing because that one thing affects like a trickle of so many other things. So a lot of questions should be asked when it comes to symptoms. And this is why any client of mine, Sarah or Sonia, they might say, Hey, I feel this. And then they are met with a barrage of questions after that, because those, those answers do matter to where kind of steers our brain. When it comes to perimenopause, this is another thing I'd like to just address knowing that this is part one of what I feel personally could be like, literally like a 20 part series. It's I'm so passionate about it. Um, Perimenopause on like social media, on the internet, um, on news, it is always met with like this feeling of like being geriatric, nothing against the geriatric community, nothing against anybody who's listening to this, who is like maybe, you know, 80, 85 plus seventies, but it's always perimenopause. And then you see this picture of like, you know, this, a woman who is like seen a lot of hard life you know, I'm going to just throw some words out there again. No, I'm really no discredit here. You know, she looks worn out and busted. Like, I mean, she could be like, you know, gray and hunched over. Yeah. That is not perimenopause. Perimenopause, number one, it's not a month. It's not a one year. It could be, it could be one year and done. It could be two years. It can also be a period of like 10 to 12 years there's a really gray part of perimenopause where they say that if you are under the age of 40, but okay. So they say perimenopause can start happening anywhere in your thirties. But if you start to experience these hormonal changes under 40, that could also be premature ovarian insufficiency. So that's what I mean. There's a lot of gray here. There's also something you're like recently I read something that, Sadly, a lot of women were having hysterectomies and again, that is again, an individual conversation, but hysterectomies, partial, um, complete with having zero lab work done, having zero questions asked by their doctors. And that in itself opens up a whole barrage of things as well. So perimenopause, 10 to 12 year period of time of hormonal fluctuation. Typically we're going to see um, progesterone declining. We're going to see fluctuating estrogen. And then we are going to see estrogen declining as well until we get to a time period of what is menopause, which menopause is not until quote one year after your last cycle. Now that one year of not having a cycle, that one year could actually last a couple of years. Cause what if you go six months and then you have a cycle? Well, then guess what? You're not in menopause. You're not quote in menopause yet. And then another thing is, how old are you? If you are 25 years old and you tell me that you haven't had a cycle in one year and your labs 
quote, are very low. Does that mean you were in menopause? No, it doesn't. Now we're going to start talking about that premature ovarian insufficiency. We're going to talk about amenorrhea. We're going to be looking at your thyroid, your calories, like all the things. So age matters, lab work matters. Can you identify perimenopause by lab work? No. Can you identify menopause by lab work? No. Can you look at certain parts of labs consecutively, such as like FSH, that follicle stimulating hormone? Can we look at that? Yes, but we have to look at that several months in a row. And then even then take into consideration your symptoms, your age, your history. So it is not one and done even by that one marker. Um, and so this is what gets very confusing. Um, during perimenopause and menopause, there's a lot of quote vasomotor symptoms when it comes, I mentioned hot flashes, cold flashes, um, mood, uh, mood symptoms, whether, you know, you're highly emotional or, you know, sleep disturbances. And I'm going to say all these again, are going to correlate. If you're not sleeping, insulin sensitivity is going to be shitty. Mood's going to be shitty. And it ends up being this kind of like round and round. And a lot of people ask questions, you know, when it comes to like HRT, and this is a hard one and we'll get into this in a later episode, but I'll just kind of mention it here. HRT can be very protective, especially for females in the earlier years, understanding that if you are already in menopause, complete full menopause, and you have been in menopause for over 10 years, there does come a higher risk to then just starting HRT. So there's caveats to that. If you have had like say a lumpectomy or you have had a history of cancer or a family history of cancer, does that mean that you cannot have any form of HRT? No, it doesn't. That means it's going to be individualized. Um, there's actually a higher risk of breast cancer for women who are partaking in alcoholic beverages multiple times a week. I didn't say multiple times a day. I said multiple times a week. And that, again, I don't have the, the case studies, so you can Google that all you want, but it's a linear equivalent to the more alcoholic beverages you have, the higher risk of breast cancer over those who are taking HRT. Understanding something I've posted about a lot is a lot of HRT got a lot of scare in some studies that were done several years ago. And those studies were done on synthetic forms of HRT. And it was specifically um, a progestin based, which you again might remember that progestin is typically like in hormonal birth control. There's different types of HRT, um, whether there's oral that comes with risk factors versus spray, gel, all the things. And so that's where that fear came into. And I won't get into that today. Um, but just know the earlier symptoms of even perimenopause you may be a candidate to help those symptoms and even prevention when it comes to um, heart attack, stroke, uh, diabetes, uh, dementia, Alzheimer's by starting a little a bit of hormone replacement therapy. It is going to be completely individual though. That is your choice. Um, not everybody will be a candidate, but if you are, for example, under a surgical menopause or a earlier um, 
menopause where you're under the age of 40, that is something that's going to be highly considered as a preventative to those risk factors. Um, and yeah, I don't know. That was a lot of that verbal. Good. No, that was really good. I think one more thing I want to add on top of that, that I think is like, is one of the th- things to really wrap your head around is that your neurotransmitters are so heavily influenced by your hormonal cycle as well. That one of the things that we can start to see in clients around perimenopausal times is that there's swings, not only in their estrogen and their estrogen receptors uh, communicating, but with the LH signaling down, but there's also swings in things like serotonin and dopamine, which create things like the inability for our body to calm down, and we also add in things like depression, anxiety, anger, and mood swings, because as we're having these waves, we're starting to also have these triggering neuro. <laughs> I mean, think about like someone with a dimmer, right? Dimmer is our cycle, right? That's a dimmer on a light switch, right? That's our normal cycle. And then what happens is it starts to become more like a light switch on and on and on in that. And that really affects people, those heavy crashes. Think about when your period starts or better yet, the week prior to your period, right before your hormones are kind of like their progesterone's at this peak right before it's about to come down. That triggers the feeling of sadness, anxiety, depression, can't sleep. So it's almost like magnifying that and saying, well, this is what you're going to experience every seven to 12 days is kind of a big, a big swing here. So yeah, something to keep in mind. Something else I'll say too, um, and again, we'll get into all this, um, actually two things, um, piggybacking off of what uh, you said, Sonia, when it comes to like neurotransmitters um, and even something that's called like brain, was it brain or tribe? BDNF, brain, yeah. Yeah, so when it comes to like estrogen and progesterone, we have to think about our nervous system. And like Sonia said, when we start to have a decline in these hormones, these are hormones in our nervous system. They get, it's almost, they get used to having these things. And so when estrogen declines, that's going to affect our serotonin. So that's also going to affect things like having maybe migraines. Um, it's really interesting when you start to just notice things that you may actually start to realize that you might be nearing a perimenopause time. Um, and yeah, so two things I just want to say is one, um, when it comes to entering that perimenopause time, like that's not, I don't want women to feel scared. I've seen people comment about, Oh, my perimenopause sad face. Like, I don't understand. I don't understand that. Like, it's not a death sentence and it shouldn't be a death sentence. And I, and I don't want it to be a death sentence for females. And then just to throw in the hat and think that, you know, this is the end of their life. No, it's the beginning. There is going to be some changes, but guess what? You already did this. You did this in, in, when you were going through puberty, like this is a second quote, second puberty, if you will. Um, it doesn't have to be a death sentence. Um, but then something else I'll just mention now is when it comes to even, uh, and we'll talk supplements and cause I mentioned HRT, but like supplements is understanding that once you have become your, you're entering menopause, there is no amount of wild yam extract, um, dem or flaxseed that is going to, uh, jumpstart your ovaries. So you you just need to know that, um, like you can use those things intravenously that does not bring back hormonal function. And we can talk about phytoestrogens another time. Um, 
that's the difference too, between being in say a surgical menopause versus a natural menopause is when you are in menopause, you still have some sort of hormonal cycle happening within your body. It is more like Sonia said, a dimmer switch at that time, but you do have hormones circulating. Um, but, and this is why I think I am so passionate about if you are a candidate for HRT, just how preventative it can be. Um, there is no data that wild yam extract is going to be quote bone protective, heart protective, brain protective. It's, it's just not. Um, and so that's just something to think about it. And also going through perimenopause and menopause, it's not something that you should feel like you have to quote, make it through or suffer through understanding perimenopause. Like I said, with that roller coaster fluctuation, just buckle up because for some people, it can be really smooth transition. Other people, this goes back to previous podcasts. We've talked about your lifestyle. Unfortunately, going through perimenopause is also the time where a lot of women's, our careers are skyrocketing. Our kids are going, you know, high school, college, getting married, having grandbabies, all the things like our lives are booming at this time. And at the same time, our lives are booming we have to be actually putting a, a damper on the stresses that are happening to us. Cause whether it's good stress or bad stress, it is still stress to our body and our body's going through perimenopause for the good or the bad. It is still very, um, what's the word, um, reactive. And this is when that HPA access we talked about, if you're having a very hyper reactive HPA talking about like the neurotransmitters that Sonia mentioned, that is going to make for a very tough menopause. Also, you know, having those alcoholic beverages, you know, I'm sorry, you know, I, 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 I'm, I really, I hate to say that guys, but I also don't hate it. It's the truth. Like it's just not going to be serving of this particular time period. Um, so just a lot of things to think about. So Mary, I have a question for you. Yeah. What do you think is more effective supplements or lifestyle? Lifestyle has to come before supplements because you can't supplement. Can you say that one supplement. more time. Just one more time. <laughs> For anything that you ever hear on this podcast, lifestyle comes first because you cannot out supplement a lifestyle. It, I want to give you a prime example of this, right? It's like taking a cortisol reducer and then continuously keeping your caffeine high, intake high. Yeah. It's like, or not learning breath work, not learning how to calm your body down because it's, it's, like whenever we add in supplements and to fill in nutritional gaps to help your body transition, but it will not have, these aren't drugs. Supplements aren't drugs. Yeah. Drug, you can take a drug and not change your lifestyle and it can change the way your body reacts, but there's impacts of that drug. A lot of times with plants, there's this synergistic energy that can occur where it can, plants can help your body relieve a symptom without creating other issues in your body. However, you have to, you have to get in the car and drive the car. Like, yeah. right. Like that you have to get in and you have to move with the whole process and they can help you transition into a more calm, relaxing lifestyle. But like we were saying, it's like, you can't just, even with HRT. And I think this is something I, I want to add into is like, do not take HRT. If you're just looking for a better sex drive, better hair and to lose weight. 
I think no. a lot of people lean into HRT because they say, I'm gaining weight because I'm getting older. I'm going to take HRT. And I'm going to tell you, I have seen that backfire a hard, hard left yeah. on people. So it's yeah. making sure that you're addressing, like she's saying, getting to the root cause, understanding your HPA access, how stress is driving these processes, how much alcohol is being an inflammatory um, trigger inside of the body, how it's changing the way that estrogens are, pro- are processed in the body are key. Because once you understand these things, you kind of have the keys to the city. You're like, all right, I'm going to have a swing here, but I know that if I just like, I'm moving my training volume around, I'm working more on yoga. I'm really on top of my water and being more mindful that I'm not going to have a big swing this far. Yeah. And I think it's really hard during this time. I mean, I can, we'll get into like, you know, our stories, but I can talk about one another time. It is very hard for a lot of people. Like, for example, like when I mentioned the migraine, they're like, Oh, I'm having a migraine. It's my hormones. What should I adjust? And I'm like, nothing, like nothing. Like let's, let's wait and see. Let's, let's let this play out because like I said early, like when it comes to symptom, symptomatology, God, that word, I can't, why can't I say that? Um, when it comes to having symptoms, it can be so many different things. And when you are jumping from this thing to that, that you are being reactive. And again, that reactive nature, that is another stress, like to your body. Like sometimes just no action is the action. Just take the data in and start correlating what's happening over time. And then, then you actually have some things to go on. Hey, this is, I've noticed this over the last couple of months. I've noticed this over the last, and again, when I say months, like that could be eight weeks, it sounds a whole lot shorter when I say eight weeks, but that's two months. Right. Um, and that can be really hard but not jumping on one symptom and trying to treat that one symptom. Um, it's really important. Yeah. Yeah. And that's as coaches, a lot of times when we say no changes, it's because we're wait, we're wanting to see those patterns and we're wanting to see how things develop or yes, still are drinking the alcohol or your diet quality shit or, yeah. You know, you were the, you know, you're a basket case and, you know, we really need you to find a therapist to kind of support on that end of things. Too. Yeah, it, it's huge. Um, but just remember when I've made some, you know, some talks lately when some clients, you know, they're in their thirties and the biggest thing I can say is we shouldn't be waiting until we're in our thirties and forties to care about our hormonal health because our hormonal health of our thirties and forties is a is a byproduct of what we've been doing in our twenties, you know? So there is no, there's no time like the present to start things. And if you are in your thirties and forties and listening to this, guess what? You have such capability to help affect your forties, fifties, and sixties. Um, now is the time to get on those things. When somebody is diagnosed with, you know, now I have osteoporosis. Now I have this and they want to go back and start trying to be preventative. We, we can't undo that. You know, like we can't, like we can try to help prevent that from getting worse, but to be preventative again, understanding we can't always, pre- we can't predict everything that's going to happen. We can just do the best we can with what we have now, but by God, that's a lot. When it comes to your lifestyle, when it comes to showing up for yourself, how much water you drink and not just telling yourself the stories about, Oh, I'm doing everything. Are you really, Yeah. are you really doing everything as far as handling the free shit? 
because those things matter. Yeah. More. I love it. We're going to dive into this plenty more guys. So if you're listening and you're like, okay, well that doesn't help me. What do I do? What do I take? How does it, how, how exactly does it work? We are going to dive into a couple more parts of kind of what it's like transitioning, what like actual tangible things that you can do. And a little bit more, it's like the science of exactly what's going on with those hormones, because I truly believe that um, education drives compliance. And we kind of brought that back to the alcohol. When you start to really know and understand why that's so bad, what is happening during those times, I think you will be less likely to take that sip because it's just like when I tell people it, you can drink twice a week, but you can just expect to maintain when you're drinking twice a week. And when you're ready to change that, then you can expect to see the results. Just kind of the science behind it. We don't write the rules and we're not anti-people that drink. We're just going off of the data and what we see in application with clients. So keeping that in mind, we're not anti-alcohol. Somebody's like, you guys are just so anti-alcohol. like, no, we just, we know the science. So yeah, it's different, but awesome. Well, that's a wrap up for this episode. And like I said, we're going to have more episodes coming to dive in a little bit deeper into this. And as always, if you guys are listening and enjoy listening, make sure to leave a review five stars only, you know, um, don't do what my boyfriend did and leave a review and then accidentally click one star. (laughs) I haven't brought it up yet, but Maddie pulled our, our ranking way down, but he has been trying so good. He left such a sweet comment. I know. I'm like, babe, what did you do? He's like, I know. Did you like it? And I was like, it's one star. (laughs) Trust me. He hasn't heard the end of that yet. Oh, he probably feels up. terrible. We love yeah, That's awesome. But you can make it right. Help. Leave a review. Make sure it's a good review. Or any feedback in general. We love hearing from you guys. So with that, have a great afternoon. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye.